0: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church, to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church, to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: Hello, welcome back to another episode of The Worship Review. This is your favorite podcast, we all know that. My name is Colin, I'm a history professor, former worship leader, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Tyler... Hi, And uh, we run this podcast in order to critically, but also charitably, examine, evaluate, consider, contemplate, critique the lyrics from songs that many people sing in their churches. Usually, we're looking at popular songs. Sometimes we look at old hymns. I don't know. We go through Christmas and Advent songs in the right time of year. And over the last uh, few months, we've been going over what we term excellent songs. So if you don't like listening to us pick a song apart, you should listen to these podcasts at the moment because we are talking about songs that we deem as excellent, that one of us at least thinks deserve a five out of five. And that's how we rate songs on this podcast. Five. We give them a rating out of five somethings and we pick that uh, a different uh, criteria every year or every episode. And this week we've got a song that probably many listeners will not have heard of before. It is a song called From the Depths of Woe, and it is by Christopher Miner. He is part of a group called Indelible Grace, or was part of a group called Indelible Grace, which was associated with Reformed University Fellowship, which is a campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. And From the Depths of Woe is also based off of Psalm 130. Before we start talking about the actual lines in the song, Tyler, I wonder if you have any thoughts about the song in general.
2: I do. I love that this song is based on a psalm. I love that it was translated into German by Martin Luther and then into English in the 19th century by a churchman named Richard Massey. And then it has experienced another wave or resurgence through uh, indelible grace music which for a long time was kind of leading the charge i guess you could say on revitalizing older hymns so this is a storied hymn it's a long hymn well it is kind of long but it has a long history and it comes at least in theory from the bible the lyrics are obviously not scripture but they are based on a psalm which I like and I think this song does a good job of generally speaking it does a good job of translating scripture to English prose but it's hard to it's actually probably better to see this as a translation of German prose than as a direct link from the psalm to English prose because there's stuff that's pretty much word for word from Martin Luther's version so some of that is shown in the archaic nature of the text, which I guess in the 19th century was still kind of cool, but Mm -hmm. it's not really cool anymore. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I'd I'd encourage listeners to go ahead and pull out Psalm 130. I mean, it's a very short Psalm. It's only eight verses. I can read it real quick, just so you have it in the back of your mind as we go through the lyrics. So the Psalm Psalm 130 goes, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his Fairly short psalm, but I think as we go through the lyrics, Tyler, we will see that these ideas and even many of these phrases come across, you know, virtually identical to the psalm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to hear that psalm read and not think of our Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. praying and meditating on those words.
1: Yep. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the lyrics. This is the first of five stanzas.
0: From the depths of war I raise to thee the voice of lamentation Lord turn a gracious ear to me and hear my supplication If thou iniquities dost mark our secret sins and misdeeds dark, oh who shall
1: Depths of woe, I raise to thee the voice of lamentation. Lord, turn a gracious ear to me and hear my supplication. If thou iniquities dost mark our secret sins and misdeeds dark, oh, who shall stand before thee? Tyler, what are we looking at in this opening stanza?
2: So we open in a rather dark place. We open in a place of woe, depths of woe. So deep, deep woe. Woe is distress. And. In this deep distress, the singer is raising to someone specifically, to the a voice. And that voice is a voice of lament, a voice of bringing in a holy way our sorrows before God um, and seeking his face in distress. And he asks the Lord to turn an ear to him. So that is, it's, you kind of see this in the Psalms, like incline your ear to me hear my cry so um be open to my plea and hear my supplication that is my request offered to you um and then we have this reflection if you would mark sins so if you kept tally of sins Mm -hmm. our secret sins our dark misdeeds who shall stand before you so who who could ever stand in the face of that kind of Uh, reckoning, Mm -hmm. a literal reckoning.
1: It's a nice set of lines because it encapsulates a lot of, it encapsulates several thoughts in just one stanza. So we have the idea of sin, obviously, and various kinds of sin, iniquities, secret sins, misdeeds, so mistakes, public sins, private sins, uh, transgressions, Like there's a lot in here that you get a sense of the totality of sin, and then also the lamentation and woe suggests that the person singing is experiencing regret and is experiencing deep sadness, and so there's a posture of repentance in the way that the sin is characterized. I mean, the person is not in a pre-Christian state. The person, so this is not a song about somebody who who is converted. I think. I think this is a song about somebody who knows. Who's sinned and knows they've sinned and realizes, you know, the consequ- the, um, the 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 grave, the the the, 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 grie- the grievousness of sin, and is themselves grieved by sin, and also is very aware of God's righteousness too. Like that's part of the package in this too. That if if God marked our iniquities, if God counted them up, if God evaluated them and judged them then nobody would be able to stand before him. So it's it's a really kind of totalizing and almost complete summary of where we stand before God and where we should stand. Like, we, we even we as Christians should recognize that when we sin, just because we are forgiven of our sin does not mean our sin is not grievous and does not mean that we, we do not continue to go to the Lord in repentance.
2: It's... If if it weren't followed by this, uh, if the psalm didn't immediately have this discussion of mercy following it, it would be a really terrifying thought. Yeah. If, if you were to count up our sins, I mean, yeah. if you, if you're just a ballpark at column, let's let's assume you sin fifty times a day. That's probably right. a low estimate.
1: I'm sure, it is. If you if you if you count sin the way the Bible counts sin in word and thought,
2: it would right? be yeah. Each person would be a small infinity, and you yeah. would just have that iterated over so many days. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a quite terrifying thought. So it's good that we come to a place of talking about God's mercy.
1: Yep. Which the Psalm does too in verse four. So it, this is right in line with the Psalm. All right, let's get to stanza number two.
0: To wash away the crimson stain, grace, grace alone.
1: Wash away the crimson stain, grace, grace alone availeth. Our works, alas, are all in vain, in much the best life faileth. No man can glory in thy sight. All must alike confess thy might, and live alone by mercy.
2: Okay, so we actually have, I I think, and in, I don't think this is a bad intrusion necessarily, um, but this is clearly a Luther hymn put in here, right? Because we yeah. have um grace alone mentioned here we have these reformation themes kind of coming in pretty clearly um so we have this crimson stain i think this is coming from isaiah 1 verse 18 where um god says though your sins are like scarlet they will be white as snow um so what what will wash away that is what will avail what will succeed what will bring success to wash away this stain of sin this crimson stain of sin Mm -hmm. grace grace alone can wash that stain away and then it it actually goes on top of that um and says not only is this the only thing but i'm going to name some other things that you uh, think you might appeal to to wash that stain away um our works alas uh are all stains. we have an interjection in the middle of line alas uh all of our deeds, all of our, what we think of as our good behaviors, they're all in vain. That is, they're all futile. Mm-hmm. They do not bring anything in in the final analysis and maybe even in, in a smaller analysis. But in the final analysis, our works are, they are nothing. In much, the best life fails. So even if you were to hold up a champion, uh-huh. uh, even if you were to put forward someone who you said, surely this man, you know, he's kept all the laws. Mm-hmm. He has obeyed perfectly um, in much his life would fail as his- well mm-hmm. and then he expounds on that no man, no sinful man uh, can stand in front of you, so in thy sight and glory in himself. No man mm-hmm. can you know beat his chest before God, so to speak, mm-hmm. all must alike, must together, almost in similar fashion, uh confess, accept. Uh, declare your might, your strength, your power, mm. and therefore, I think implied here, live alone, not not live by yourself, but live by mercy alone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I do think it's a Reformation intrusion on the psalm, but I don't think it's uh, necessarily a bad thing. No, this not, is, out, of, not out of place has, at all. Uh, but there is forgiveness with you so that you may be feared.
1: Yeah, I don't think this is out of place. It, it suits the song, it suits the song, and I think it's a fair amplification of the psalm. If someone were speaking about the psalm or preaching on the psalm, they would very well bring in similar comparisons and, and biblical ideas to exposit on it. All right, stanza number three. Therefore, my trust is in the Lord and not in mine own merit. On him, my soul shall rest. His word upholds my fainting spirit. His promised mercy is my fort, my comfort and my sweet support. I wait for it with patience.
2: Wow. I love this. I love this verse quite a bit. Uh, It opens with this therefore, which ties what is coming with what came before. So we just learned that no man can glory in the sight of God. And all must live by mercy alone. Therefore, so so my trust is in the Lord and not in my own works, not in my own merit. On him, on the Lord, my soul shall rest. Mm -hmm. That is, I think this is rest in the sense of be stayed or be stable. Um, My soul shall rest on him. His word upholds my fainting spirit. So we have this acknowledgement that the spirit of the singer is fainting. He is, after all, still in the depths of woe, Mm -hmm. and he might be tempted to despair or to give up hope or to lose confidence. But in this he says, um, His word upholds my spirit. So we have the word of God mentioned here. And in the the psalm, this is – pretty much word for word for that, because it mentions hoping in the word of God. So very, very close reading of that. Um, And I, I do like that this emphasizes what is holding up the spirit of the man. It's actually not, we might be tempted to think, a man of firm resolve, right? He might meditate on God's word and still take credit in his firm resolve. But in this it says, his word upholds my finger. And so even that ability to not faint uh, entirely is from God. God's promised mercy, that his steadfast love, his covenant mercy, which he has sworn by himself is my fort. Again, you can tell this is a Luther. Yes. Because we have yes. Some, uh, war imagery is a fort, a place of refuge, but also a, a stronghold, a war center. My comfort and my sweet support, so a, an aid, so one who comes alongside you and and sweetly supports you. I wait for it. That is his mercy with patience. I, I guess I endure this with patience. Mm-hmm. One call, of the things. I'm that, sorry, but I don't want to. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: One of the things I like about this set of lines is the opening bit where he says, "Therefore, my trust is in the Lord and not in mine own merit." And you see the idea of supplication before gods in a lot of ancient religions, and the idea in those religions is you, if you abase yourself sufficiently, this will be kind of counted to you as a kind of, um, this will somehow earn you favor with a god if you sufficiently just abase yourself. But what I like about this line, and we see it in the psalm too, is it's not the act, it's not that the person's woe, saves them. It's not that their lament saves them. It's what's happening is they're sad about their sin, but at the same time the person singing is also grateful that God forgives their sin regardless of anything they do, including by the way, um just being sad about our sin. Like when we are redeemed, when we are regenerated, we don't have to continue, I mean we do continue to petition to God for forgiveness and but that doesn't like continue to save us right we're just we're merely resting on over and over again the work of Christ and kind of reminding ourselves over and over again of what Christ did and so i like this line because there there there's a kind of false piety sometimes in being grieved over your sin and people can kind of walk around with like a low grade guilt like they just kind of have to be always kind of sad about their sin and kind of dwelling in the depths and that this this is kind of a, a a roundabout way actually to make them seem righteous because of this phenomenon that we have kind of in our anthropological history of se- somehow seeming to need to abase ourselves. and I just think that scripture, but but also this psalm and also this song, really really come against that.
2: I have a lot of thoughts. Cause I think there are probably two kinds of people who walk around with that low-grade guilt. There are the ones who do it because they think it will make them look pious, and then there are the ones who are uh, they're just seriously troubled. And yeah. They don't. Need. They don't.
1: F- they don't fully understand what what Christ has done for them, right?
2: Yeah. Or if they do, there's some block there where they. Yeah. They can't accept it. Maybe they understand it, but they can't accept it, or something like that. And, yeah. And maybe there's some residual pride in there preventing yeah. them from. Yeah. Accepting it, but uh, yeah. it's hard for me to read this and not think. Uh, stop me, call it if if I go on too long about this. But it's hard for me not to think about Christian and Hopeful in Pilgrim's Progress in the Dungeon of Giant Despair okay. because they are literally in the depths of woe, uh, and Christian is ready to give up, so to speak. And Hopeful reminds him of God's law that forbids him from giving up. He reminds him of the torment he will suffer. But he also reminds him of um, who Christian is and and who God has made him to be, and then they make it out with a promise. And it's when I re- when I see these lines, like these these this this singer and Luther also finding this fort, this strength, this comfort in the promises of God, uh, mm-hmm. even in the midst of trial, is a powerful and perennial thing.
1: Yeah. Yep. I think so. We now get to the latter two-fifths of the song with stanza four. What though I wait the live long night, and till the dawn appeareth, my heart still trusteth in his might. It doubteth not, nor feareth. Do thus, O ye of Israel's seed, ye of the Spirit, born indeed, and wait till God appeareth. There's a lot of eths in the verbs here, Tyler.
2: Yeah, they seem to rely quite a bit on having an extra syllable for the verbal conjugations. Yeah. What though is even though. So even though I wait the live long night, that is this long lasting night, and I wait until the dawn appears. I think this is hinting at the Psalm. I actually like oh, the yeah. language of the Psalm so much better where it's like more than watchmen for the morning, I wait for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is fine, but I like. I first of all, I like the comparative in the psalm, but I also like the image of, of the watchman, which is only kind of hinted at here. Yeah. Um, my heart. So even though I'm waiting in this night, this darkness, my heart still trusts in His might. It doubts not, and it does not fear. Uh, that's actually quite a big statement. If you are in the depths of woe, to say, well, nope, I, I'm in the depths of woe, but I don't doubt and I don't fear. So this might be is kind of putting on. Uh, bigger pants than you than you have, but but again, in in the psalm it says, "I wait for the Lord, and in His word I hope." Um, so I, I think it's it's okay. It, it may be it may be pushing it, but it then moves to this imperative: "Do do thus." That is, do in this way. O you of the seed, the offspring, the descendants of Israel. So originally Jacob. He wrestles with god wrestles with god means israel and then the entire covenant people become israel and then with christ uh even people who are not of that ethnic group are now included in that so mm-hmm. ye of the seed of israel ye of the spirit born indeed so that's actually uh, also i think luther weighing in here to make sure we're clear on who is in and who is not in um, only those in, in Luther's view and in Orthodox Christianity, only those of what? Okay, I shouldn't say Orthodox Christianity. There are different. There are very different perspectives on this. But he is appealing to those who are born again by the Spirit of God. So Christians, yeah. wait until God appears. And to be honest with you, Colin, it wasn't until I started preparing for this uh, episode that I actually wondered what the appears here means. Does it mean to... Uh, oh, yeah. Reveal his plan, or does it mean for him to come again in the flesh uh, at the second coming? I think I think there's something revelatory about this appearance. Mm. Yeah, or you're to, right. To reveal it, it, his will, possibly.
1: Yeah. Because so much of the song copies, in a good way, the, the language of the psalm, which, of course, is pre-Christ. And, yeah. I mean, we get a more explicit... Uh, we get more explicit language about Christ in the last stanza. So maybe this one is more in, in, in the way of, you know, is is more in line with what you are postulating.
2: So if, if I may, I, I did go and look at what Luther wrote and Luther wrote, wait on God. So it's, it's actually uh. a little bit, it seems like this translation took a little bit of Liberty and I don't know if it was for the better there. Um, hmm. So anyway, it's just, I think it's an open question.
1: Now, neither of the neither of the possibilities, or indeed other possibilities that we aren't considering, are are, are negative. These are all no. Yeah, th- th- this that's is true. one of these cases where the the ambiguity or the the open openness of the language doesn't allow for a meaning that is problematic. Right, that's the thing that we run into all the time. If listeners go back and listen to songs that we rated lower. You know, if there was ambiguity in those songs, oftentimes the ambiguity could leave open interpretations that were unbiblical or unhelpful or even in some times, you know, heretical or at least erroneous. This does not do that. So great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows, our utmost need it soundeth. Our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his Israel flee, free from all their sin and sorrow.
2: So we have another though here. So again, we're, we're kind of moving in this positive direction, but he's acknowledging, he's making a kind of concession here. Even though our sins are great and our woes, our sorrows, are sore. uh, Yep. So we're coming back full circle. Yeah, we're back to the woe. uh, But it is moving in a very enlightened direction, I think, in multiple senses. So sore is used originally as something like a wound. And it's used then as an adverb of intensifying things. So sore woes are just very grave yeah, uh, sorrows
1: like like um, a person being sore afraid, right? That means exactly, very afraid.
2: Exactly, sore woe, sore afraid. Yeah, His grace abounds even more, much than our great sins and our sore woes. So uh, the scale isn't even close to being even uh, in the balance. It is completely uh, our woes mm-hmm. and sins are completely outweighed by His grace. On the other hand. His helping love knows no limit. It has no, that is, it has no boundary. It has no um, limitation. It sounds our utmost need. Now, this is a very strange thing to say these days, but uh, if, if you're, are, are you a nautical person, Colin? I don't think you are.
1: I'm not a uh, nautical well. person at Do all. You know,
2: have you ever heard the sound used as a verb? in nautical senses. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. To take a sound, yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. Sound the well, depths. Yeah. Exactly. That's what that's what's going on here. So I use it in my book. In my next book. Oh really? Yes. How do you, how do you use it?
1: I was I was it's I was using a nautical metaphor actually to talk about like searching historical sources for evidence of this plague I'm writing about.
2: Okay. So you're sounding the Hox
1: Romana, you can buy it now on Amazon or you can pre order it now on Amazon.
2: Get the plug in there. There you go. It, you should buy it because it's a play on words. So as a linguist, I have to appreciate that. And I have to <laughs> encourage our listeners. A,
1: a play on words in an ancient language of all things. So you yeah. you linguists have got to love this thing.
2: Yeah. It's infectious. So oh, it sounds our <laughs> utmost need. That is our, our greatest need. Uh, his love actually... Penetrates to the bottom and sees to the bottom of it, um, and really plumbs the depth of our need. So there, there's not something that um, we are afraid to ask that he would not be able to uh, answer if he, if he didn't, if he willed it. He, our shepherd, is good, and he, our shepherd, is true. So Jesus is good and true, and he will free his Israel at last, at the end. Uh, from all their sin and sorrow, so all this, all this woe that is tormenting the person writing this song will one day be lifted from him um, by a good and true shepherd.
1: Yeah, really like this set of lines. It, it's you know, it's it's adding a little bit to the psalm, but I think in the spirit of the psalm and is kind of taking the psalm forward into into looking towards Christ, into recognizing. So the psalm ends with, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That's verse eight of Psalm 130. And so this just, this bit here, our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his Israel flee. It's playing on the psalm, but also adding a New Testament understanding to it. And then, you know, the last line from all their sins and or from all their sin and sorrow So I think this is a nice way to infuse some gospel into the ideas that are already being stirred around in the psalm and which, you know, obviously are fulfilled in Christ.
2: Mm -hmm. It's totally
1: legitimate to do this, I think.
2: Yeah, and this was, whether or not the psalmist, the psalmist was not cognizant of necessarily all the details of uh, this Messiah that he was looking forward to, but um, Christ is present in this psalm. And uh, when the psalm says the Lord and talks about the Lord redeeming Israel from all his iniquities, it's very hard to read that and not see our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. um, In his work and ministry and death on the cross. Yep. And even when I, when I said in the beginning that you can hear Christ in this Psalm, I don't think that just as I reread it, I actually don't see anything in this Psalm that explicitly says, I am a sinner. Mm. I think that's implied. And that's, that's obviously a reading from and, – and, and, a, and a very acceptable reading and perhaps even the intended reading of the author. But when yeah, I look I at so. it I, I could totally see Christ saying every single word of this and, and declaring it about himself, crying, mm. to, crying to the Lord from Sheol, from the grave, begging, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the pleas for my mercy. Um, who could stand if God should mark iniquities? Actually, curiously and perhaps ironically, Christ – could stand before his father um, and Christ alone could do that. Uh, But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So Christ is this forgiveness embodied. Um, There's just a lot in this, um, in the Psalm that I think could, could be the words of our savior. So do you have any more comments on this final verse? I think, I think we knocked it out. Jesus is a good shepherd. He will free his people from their sin and sorrow. Uh, He has freed his people from their sin and sorrow
1: the 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 song does such a good job of kind of commenting on itself you know a lot of the songs that we have done in the past just needed a lot of explanation and you know they they didn't there was a lot that they didn't provide or left in the gaps or was ambiguous that had to be teased out and speculated about you know the commentary was really adding something to it i think in this case this song is itself kind of a commentary on the psalm. I would say that's largely what this song accomplishes in in rhyme and in a kind of beautiful way, but it doesn't it is just a kind of set of contained thoughts. I think you could read the lyrics to this song and have a pretty good understanding of what Psalm 30 is about, you know?
2: Yeah. I agree. I think the language is a bit archaic and there are some things that might be a hindrance to comprehension but overall it is a self-contained entity.
1: Yeah. And I again I'm trying to comment on this part of some of the songs too when when I remember to I I listened to the album version of this song and I loved it. I just loved it. I thought it was really the music was really in line with the progression of the song, so like during the earlier parts of the song where is a bit more whoa, and it's in the depths. There, there was an emphasis on the minors, and the song kind of just gradually and slowly comes out of that. And you know, like the the drum beat, uh, it doesn't accelerate in terms of tempo, but it just gets a bit more forceful. You get more majors, or at least more emphasis on the major. Uh, The the way that the song is sung is more uh, lively Uh, at one point. like So there are these refrains at the end where the last line is repeated. I didn't repeat it when I read the words, but the last line of each stanza is repeated. And towards the end of the song, it's being sung in an octave above what it was sung earlier. So there's these little signals, musical signals in in this song, in the album performance, which just really reinforce... What the words are doing—it's—it's it's a really beautiful package. This whole thing, I think this is kind of one of the great, underappreciated or or less well-known songs of recent decades. It is really, really good, and I urge people to go and uh, listen to this song and you know buy the album or whatever. I thought it was great.
2: I agree. I, I love the switch. The, it starts in this minor key, and then it switches to the relative major of that same minor key. And so without feeling like a key change, we go from, and without even really having to touch the melody, we go from this almost, it's not a dirge necessarily, but it's its a song of lament to a song yeah. of triumph. And it—it uh, it, it is kind of gradual in the beginning, but then by the end, its it's quite, they're moving quite quickly and quite aggressively. So I like it. I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't nitpick about the archaic nature of the language. I, I don't know how many people that would be a hindrance for, but I suspect it's more than zero and less than 50%. I don't know. I don't know how many people that would be a, a hindrance for, but yeah, um, it is there.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Tyler, uh, you brought the song, so I'm guessing we can guess what your rating is, but who knows what your modifier is going to be. So Tyler, mm-hmm. what do you give the song?
2: I will give it five out of five banjo licks because <laughs> I, I like Chris Miner's version of it. And we have to give credit to Chris Miner because he put this song on an album in like 2002 and it's just him and a guitar, if I recall correctly. Uh, but this was then quickly taken up by Indelible Grace. And in the very widely accessible Indelible Grace version, it opens with this banjo lick. It, it honestly feels like you're on the, somebody's back porch and somebody's Singing and humming about someone who died recently. Like it's it's that somber at the beginning, but then it it picks up pretty quickly. You know what I'm talking about, Colin?
1: Yeah, so I don't, you're kind of almost describing like a, yeah, sitting on a porch in Nebraska kind of vibe, but I, with that electric guitar, I, I find that quite spacey and atmospheric, and the banjo's kind of giving this definition. Hmm. I don't know, like I almost hear, in fact, I didn't really recognize it as banjo, it it got subsumed in the electric guitar when I first listened to this.
2: Wow, Really?
1: Yeah, we're I mean, we
2: listen completely opposite because I hear a banjo and then the electric guitar is like this background thing going on.
1: Yeah, and it see, sounds I, like for you
2: it's the opposite. No,
1: that electric, that spacey electric guitar really sticks out to me. And wow. the banjo. Once you said the banjo was there, I was like, oh yeah, there is a banjo there.
2: <laughs> it's it's all I hear in the intro. So that's, that's interesting. that's so funny,
1: huh? Okay. Uh, well, I give this song five out of five inspiring song titles because, man, probably one of the reasons this song is not sung much is because the <laughs> title is just, what? We're going to sing from the depths of woe? <laughs> hey, everybody, clap your hands. Here we go. You know, And I have to yes. say, the first time I heard this, so I hadn't heard the album version until um, this preparing for this episode. The only time I had heard this song was in church and I don't remember which church I was in. I've had a I've been in a couple churches which did some indelible grace songs. But either way, whichever church it was sang the song in a kind of happy clappy way. Like they kind of started it with the And it was kind of like and so then you get that first line from the depths of That's woe I race to thee. And it's just like what? You can't sing from the depths of woe like that. You know. <laughs>
2: okay, that is the one knock I will give to Chris Miner's version is that there's a ton of syncopation in it and it just feels off. Like it, yeah. some people like Nathan Partain has songs that have a ton of syncopation in them and usually it makes it work, but then with this song, like it even in the original, like it's it is so syncopated that it's it's always on the off beats and it always feels like you're hopping or bouncing mm-hmm. or jumping so no i i
1: like I, I like the album the indelible grace album version a lot i think it is i think it really matches the words
2: and i think the voices blend really really well you have this uh, sure higher do. tenor and a soprano together and maybe like a, a soprano two or something and they just they fit really really well
1: yeah 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 hmm.
2: i love the i love the harmonies or i guess it's probably more of a counter melody that the the man does quite a bit
1: yeah. Well, I'm glad you picked it, Tyler. It's a, it was a fun song to listen to, and I rediscovered, or d- discovered, this uh, this version. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole b- album. Well, listeners, thank you very much for checking out this episode of the Worship Review. We encourage you to browse back through our back catalog. These are evergreen podcast episodes. You could listen to them at any time. They don't reference contemporary events. They hopefully continue to be useful to you, but also, if you want to share them with Pastors, you know, worship leaders, you know, people that are interested in Christian music, non-Christians, maybe, who knows? Maybe they even could have an evangelical merit to them. I we didn't intend it that way, but you never know till you try it. You can also feel free to follow us on Twitter, and you can send us a little donation if you like. We don't have to pay too much for the hosting and some of the other things that we do, the domain names and all of that. But Every little contribution helps, and so if you have enjoyed this podcast, we do encourage you to you know, send us a cup of coffee or whatever it is that they say, small donations, if you will. You can do that uh, at our Spotify website, so you can look us up there. You can also find us at uh, theworshipreview.com and find a way to donate through that as well. We thank you very much for listening, and we hope you have a great week. Take care.